Welcome back to It's Haunted, What Now? I'm your host, Lainey. Ever since I was little, I have been obsessed with ghost stories. My mom can attest to that. I got my first introduction to the creepy and paranormal at a book fair in elementary school. There, I found a book called Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Feeling incredibly terrified, I was, of course, hooked. As I moved on to middle school, my obsession focused more on Texas hauntings. My mom and I would go on road trips all over the state of Texas and using my ever-growing collection of Hans Holzer books as a guide, I would ask her to stop at these fabled destinations hoping to get a glance at the metaphysical. I was lucky enough that she obliged. The ghost I had been reading about never did reveal themselves to me, but I wonder what I would have done if they did. Maybe I'll find out one day. Okay, ready to get spooked? You may have gathered this from my introduction, but I live in the great state of Texas. I spend quite a bit of time researching haunted locations. My husband's grandmother lives in East Texas near a very haunted town called Jefferson. I've been to the rather small town on a couple of occasions, but never ventured into the supposed haunted dwellings that dot the town. One hotel, the Jefferson Hotel, has been on my bucket list since I visited the town a year ago. The story goes that the Jefferson Hotel is haunted by a number of spirits, the most memorable spirits being a woman named Elizabeth, some ghostly children, and a male apparition that can be seen looming in the hotel's many hallways. The story goes that Elizabeth was a bride-to-be in the late 1870s. Upon receiving word from her fiancé that he would not be coming to the wedding, she was distraught. She returned to room 19, where she hung herself using a sheet from the 12-foot headboard. Elizabeth has reportedly been seen roaming the halls, knocking on doors, crying in her room, and walking around anxiously. The ghost children are thought to be from a local mill, but there is little to no definitive information out there for them. The children have been known to move objects around, and a few brave guests have even brought toys for them to play with. They're mischievous, but ultimately harmless. Realistically, I have no idea how I would fare in a haunted hotel room, but I'm anxious to try. Speaking of haunted hotel rooms... Our first listener-submitted story comes from B. She happened to have an experience when she stayed with her husband in the Talbot Ayers Guest House in Memphis, Tennessee. My spooky story takes place eight years ago when I was honeymooning with my husband across the deep south. We live in England. I had decided that we would stay in a range of bed and breakfasts or lodges instead of hotels as I thought this would give us more of a memorable experience. 
I wasn't wrong. I spent hours researching all of the places that we would stay in North Carolina, Nashville, San Antonio, and Memphis. I discovered the Talbot Airs online and quickly decided that it was definitely the place for us. I will send you pictures of the apartment that we chose to stay in. I feel a bit spooked just looking back at these pictures. Now, I am no stranger to having experienced supernatural stuff over the years. I am very open to the idea of spirits, and generally, I am not spooked out by stuff. But this experience freaked me out. My husband and I had returned to Suite 8 after a busy day out in Memphis visiting the Peabody Hotel, the National Civil Rights Museum, and the Lorraine Motel. Naturally, in August, it was a hot and sticky day in Memphis, so I decided to grab a shower before settling down for the night. I went into the bathroom and took a shower as my husband settled down in the lounge area to watch Pulp Fiction. I wandered out of the bathroom into the bedroom and shrieked as I saw the face of a man at the window looking directly at me. His face was transparent as if being reflected back at me. I screamed at my husband to come and grab me another towel as I had left the blinds open and people were looking in. I dashed over to the window to shut the blinds. At this point, I was more concerned about being peeped on while in a state of semi-nakedness. It was only as I dashed over towards the window where I'd seen the face that I remembered we were several stories up and there was no way I could have been seen from the street. I opened up the window to look and figure out how someone had been there. As I looked, I saw that there was a sheer drop from the window down to the alley below. My husband ran in and wondered what the hell I was making so much fuss about. He is a complete non-believer, but even he was spooked at how scared I was. There was literally no plausible reason as to how I could have seen this man's face looking through the window at me. I was completely spooked for the rest of the evening. I tried to relax with my husband and watch the film, but just could not shake the spooky feeling. I eventually decided to go to bed, but made sure that my husband was still close by. I had been laid in bed a few minutes when there was suddenly a large, loud puff, as if someone was blowing down a straw directly into my ear. I screamed and sat up in bed as my husband came running in to find out what happened. Still, to this day, I have no explanation as to the occurrences that night. This is the only time I have been genuinely scared by any of the spiritual experiences during my lifetime. As much as I loved Sweet 8 at the Talbot Airs, I really don't think I would be able to spend another night there again. Thanks, B. B, you really got me thinking that a stay in the haunted hotel might be a little bit more than I bargained for. I shared with B that I would have likely had the same reaction. I'm a skittish person when I'm on high alert for spiritual activity. I'm sure most of you can relate to that feeling of being all alone in your house, where every noise and creak is surely the ghost of a long-forgotten ancestor or serial killer looming around the next corner. So, I certainly don't blame you for not wanting to return to the Talbot Airs. Some people seek out haunted destinations, while others stumble upon them unexpectedly. Spooky Gal has rarely shared this story with anyone else in real life. To this day, she reports that the experience completely baffles her. 
Her story will be read by Sinead from the Mens Rea podcast, and she'll be taking us across the pond to Edinburgh. It was April 2015. My friend Clarice and I had booked a hotel in Edinburgh, Scotland, and were attending a vault tour beneath the streets of Edinburgh that's well known for its dodgy history and hauntings. On this particular tour, it took place at night and was a double tour by the City of the Dead, a very popular tour company. I forget what came first on this tour, the vaults tour or the graveyard tour of Greyfriars Churchyard, but that's not important. When we were in the tours that we had taken many times, sometimes the guides would have their own stories on top of the history of the vaults being used for black plague victims, body snatching, regular merchant storage, housing the most impoverished victims, and many, many more, including a hellfire club. In these tours, there's always someone who's at the back of the tour, who's asked to close a gate or a door behind them sometimes, and my friend and myself were always glad to be those people. This would mean that we were always at the back of the group, or the very back of the room as the stories were being told to us. Our guide had just told us a very interesting and detailed story she'd experienced herself with a group tour, where a girl seemed to have been possessed. I truly believed this woman's story, and was very interested. This did not, however, make me rethink being one of the last people to leave the second-last room. With the group ahead of us heading into the next room, there was a small doorway and a small passage that led to the next and final room. My friend was behind me as she always was, as we always left the room last. I had a strange feeling walking through the passageway through to the next room. I had just crossed the threshold and was entering the passageway. This is when I felt the need to check on my friend behind me. So I looked behind me and there she was, but she was much taller and more of just a big black figure against the pitch black of the previous room. But the thing is, I am several inches taller than my friend. She's maybe five two, five, three, and I'm five, eight, or five, nine. It was very odd. Suddenly, I felt a rush of fear and impulsively leapt forward and grabbed the person in front of me. Oh God, I thought, I just grabbed a stranger. Nope. There was my friend, ahead of me, in the passage, as we left it. I was indeed the last person on the tour to leave that room, and yet, I had seen the figure taller than myself, in a very block, pitch-black shape, sort of like a cutout of a man's shape against the black. This experience stuck with me, and only my friend, who was there, truly believes me of that night. I swear, I can't explain it any further. As a Mexican-American, I believe some folklore stories are told to us by our parents in an attempt to scare us into behaving. My grandma, for instance, used to knock on the wall while we were lying down in bed to warn me and my brothers that the Gukui was outside waiting for us. The Gukui is known as the boogeyman in Hispanic folklore. 
He's known to kidnap children who don't behave themselves, which would include me and my restless brothers. When the knocking began, my throat dropped into my stomach and I shut my eyes tightly hoping sleep would take me before he did. Then there is a tale of how a relative of mine in Mexico shot down a lechuza. Lechuzas are witches who turn into owls and sometime other animal forms at night. I promised to share experiences with you and when my mom told me about some incidents that happened with my family back in the day, I just had to include it. So here's what she submitted to the show. It had to have been any time after 12 a.m., but before 5 a.m. Your birth father went out to use the bathroom. He didn't go to the outhouse, but closer to the puerton, which is similar to a double-door gate. There was a streetlight that gave just enough light in that part of the backyard. He was about to do his business, but something flew over him that overshadowed the area he was in. He quickly looked up and pulled up his pants to come inside. He had seen a lechuza. There was talk in the ranch about a brujo or a warlock and male witch living in the ranch or somewhere nearby. The Colonia de los Menonitas, or the Colony of the Mennonites, was a few miles up the road. Your tía Elsa was a Menonita and married to your tío Ruben. The next day, we had to go to the main town to get things for your grandma's store. We had to stop in the colony to drop off Elsa and pick her up on the way back from town. Her father and some other men were there drinking coffee that morning. They had been walking the property with Elsa's dad. Elsa's father had gone out the night before to see why his animals were so noisy. He saw something swoop around his property a few times, didn't know what it was, so he shot at it. What he shot was a lechuza. It fell to the ground and transformed into a man attempting to run with a limp due to being shot. Word spreads around quick in the ranches. No one ever saw anyone with a fresh injury or a limp. No doctor in town had treated anyone with any type of injury or a wound. Folklore says that lechuzas are brujas or women. There is no proof that it is true they are only women. People have said that they let out a horrible screeching sound that is unforgettable. When I was a young girl, I remember Popo and Momo going out to the front yard under this tree. Popo kept tossing a board up towards it and both Momo and Popo were cussing at it really bad. I woke up because of the cussing and went outside. I thought that maybe they were mad at one of my uncles for coming to the house drunk. That was not the case at all. They were there trying to scare and intimidate the lechuza, hoping it would leave. I started to come out onto the porch, but was yelled at to go back inside the house. I heard the elders discussing the lechuza later that morning. What I've gathered from all of this is that lechuzas are not good creatures. Like my mom mentioned earlier, lechuzas are not good creatures. It's part of the reason I really hate owls. I remember hearing that animals or insects are sent as warnings that something terrible is coming. That's exactly what Opal thought about her strange experiences in a hotel room.
first what I would call paranormal experience a couple months ago and still feel I have unanswered questions. I was at a hotel in room 521 on May 21st. A black moth came flying towards my head. I was on the fifth floor and windows don't open. I tried to capture it and lost it. It came flying around me again a few hours later and it just disappeared into the lampshade. I went to bed at 2am and as soon as I had just fallen asleep, I was awoken by a noise at 2.15. If you notice, it's the same three numbers again, 251. I turned on the lamp and saw it coming from the direction of the window. I also saw the heavy light blocking curtains were open a few inches when I had closed them before going to sleep. I heard the noise again and the curtains moved a few inches. It happened at random intervals and they moved both in the closed and open directions at different lengths. No rhyme or reason, they just moved around randomly. I saw the AC unit nearby and figured that was the cause, but if it were, they wouldn't be moving in both directions, probably only one direction and in random intervals and distances, maybe only in one direction. Then, after about 10 minutes, I realized they were completely open. Again, I had shut them about an hour before. At this point, I actually started to get scared. As soon as I admitted to myself I was scared and started getting dressed, that's when they started opening and closing completely within a matter of two to three seconds, very violently and about 20 times in a row. It was straight out of a horror movie. I was rummaging around trying to find my clothes and shoes while all of this was happening. I tried to record it on video, but not sure if I didn't press the button correctly. Only the last two seconds when I bent down to put my shoes on showed up, not the curtains moving. I went to the front desk and asked for a different room and told them why, but didn't play up the paranormal thing too much. I asked for someone to escort me to get my stuff out of the creepy room and move it to the new room. They sent the security guard with me. On the elevator ride up, I told him what was going on and he said, I'm Mexican, I believe in that shit. When we got to the room, I went in first and he was a few feet behind me. The second we walked in, the curtains jumped several inches and stopped abruptly as soon as he walked in and he said, I saw it. I picked up my stuff and nothing happened even though just 10 minutes prior, the curtains were thrashing back and forth. As we walked to the new room, I asked him his name and he said, Angel. I told him I could probably use an angel about now. I stayed in the lobby the rest of the night. I was worried whatever it was would follow me. Later that morning, I met up with my friend and had breakfast. I told him about it and he wanted to check it out. By this time it was daylight and I still had the key so off we went to revisit room 521. We propped open the door with a trash can just to be safe. We walked up to the curtains and nothing looked strange. We realized there was a motor up behind the valance. I was so relieved. This is why they were moving. Some sort of electrical surge or short or something. We tried to look for a remote and could only find a keypad on the wall. It had buttons for each layer of curtains and we pressed them all individually, together in combination, and none of them moved the curtains. We even moved around the keypad a lot to see if it had a motion sensor. Nothing. We chalked the whole experience up to some logical glitch with the motor and started to walk out. He was already out of the room, walking into the hallway, and I turned back one last time to look at the window and boom, they moved again. He was facing away, 
but did hear a little noise. Now, I think it's not about electric issues because it wouldn't have been able to open and close that quickly, even manually. And it also stopped the second someone else walked in and started when my friend had just walked out and I turned to look at it. Plus, both incidents were hours apart. At least a security guard saw it too, so I knew I wasn't having any hallucinations. My questions to you are, does this sound paranormal? Does it sound evil or malicious? Would it be worth going back to investigate more? If I did, could it follow me when I leave? Should I try talking to it? Also, does the black moth, I heard they symbolize death, have any significance? How about the security guard named Angel? Then there are the numerals 5, 2, and 1, which were involved in the date, room number, and time I first heard the noise. Could that mean anything? I'm totally shook by all of this opal, and I would definitely feel creeped out by the whole experience. I tend to look at things a little bit more positively, and I shared this message with her, but I don't take any of this maliciously. I think the entity was trying to get your attention. Sure, moths can symbolize death, but it can also signal transformation. The 521 in my angel number book also talks about change and transformation, so maybe you're just in for a positive change. I would recommend not going back to the hotel to investigate further because it seems like it scared you, so, you know, I would just avoid it in general. Our final story comes from Septic Medic 73, who has quite a number of paranormal experiences that have been documented. They have shared with us one odd experience at the Pioneer Hotel in Tucson, Arizona. Here's the backstory. In Tucson, Arizona, downtown, there is a very old building that is now mainly office spaces called the Pioneer Building. When it was first built, it was a very prestigious hotel. In 1970, during a party, someone started a fire. 30 people ended up dying, including women and children, in a pretty horrific way. Tucson Fire didn't have the necessary tools to get to a lot of the victims. People were jumping out of the windows to their deaths. They rebuilt the damage and converted the space into offices, leaving a lot of the things the same, including the pool on the top floor. In 1999, my mom worked for the city and she had an office on one of the top floors. She usually had a large workload and had to stay well past into the evening quite frequently. I was about four years old. I don't remember much, but I do remember that my mom was pregnant with my little sister, and sometimes we'd be walking down the hall, and my mom would say, leave us alone, I'm pregnant. I'm not sure if she was seeing or hearing something. Last night, I went to dinner with my dad. We got on the subject of the building, and he told me some stories I wasn't aware of. Apparently, the fire occurred on the top floor. My dad was unaware of the history when my mom worked there and went to the top abandoned floor because someone said there was a vending machine. He put money in the machine and heard child laughter around the corner. He got his soda and turned the corner to look for the kid. Nobody was there. 
but he could hear them running around to the other side. So he followed and went down the only hallway possible that led to the outside. He said he could hear them outside near the pool. He could hear them laughing and running. When he walked outside, no children, nobody on the floor, and no noises after that. One day, and not sure if it was before or after this occurrence, my dad was killing time waiting for my mom to get off work. He took me, still four at the time, up the main stairwell up to the top floor to do some exploring. I was usually a pretty calm kid, but he said as soon as we hit the top landing, I freaked out pretty hysterically. I was crying, begging for him to bring me down the stairs. He said that I was trying to climb on him and that I didn't want to be on the ground. He picked me up and brought me down. He said that I was perfectly fine from that point on. I don't remember this occurrence, but I think it's pretty interesting nonetheless. That's certainly a creepy story. We often hear or read that kids are more sensitive to paranormal entities, and I think your sudden panic lends credit to that theory. I know if I were your father, that would have been a clear sign to me to turn around. Okay, well that wraps up this episode. If you'd like to submit your own personal spooky tale to be read on the show, head to hauntedpod.com and click on the link to submit your story. You can also email me at hauntedpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It really does help us out. You can find us on Twitter at podcast underscore haunted or at hauntedpod.com. Audio engineering was provided by Ches Gray, who manages Ches Gray Music. The official composer for the show is We Talk of Dreams. Check him out on Twitter at we talk of dreams or we talk of dreams.com until next time did you hear that <laughs>